Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Everything EPL, your one stop for the latest Premier League action. I'm here with my uh, beautiful friend, Bruno. How are you? Fantastic, and what a weekend of football it was. And Jackson, how are you, my friend? I've been losing sleep over that Chelsea game yesterday. I'm starting to recover, though, but we're doing all right. We got a, we got a packed show. Lots of penalties to go through. Everyone get a penalty. You get a penalty. You get a penalty. Everyone gets a penalty. Chelsea get two. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea get two. Yes. <laughs> Chelsea get two. I so got say about that, but <laughs> uh, Liverpool, the uh, Salah welcomes uh, Gerard at the Anfield. Gerard complains. He thought his team deserved something out of the game. Man City win with a dodgy penalty, as Bruno is not happy about that, but he's going to talk about it, I'm sure. And two penalties for the breathtaking game, to be honest, between Chelsea and Leeds uh, United. And Leicester City thrashed Newcastle, Arsenal against Southampton. They were pretty good. We're going to start right away, guys. Liverpool, Aston Villa. I thought Liverpool played really well. However, Aston Villa, they deserve credit. They forced Liverpool to go sideways only. Lots of crossing in the first half. It was not the greatest display in terms of going through the middle from Liverpool. But maybe they could have had two, three in the first half. However, at the end, the one with a penalty, is it the right call? In my opinion, it was. But also on the other side, this is what we need to talk about, is Alisson should have had penalty against him. And Gerard talked about this. But the referees... They all of them they turn a blind eye. The center referee, the VAR room, everybody just said, you know what, just move on. And Gerard was not had about it. Bruno, simple. Was that a penalty? Yes. Or it wasn't. And tell us penalty. why. Straight penalty. No contact with the ball. Obscured the run. Um, and it was just it was disastrous. And Gerard hit the nail on the head in his post match interview where he said, look, if anyone touched Allison, they would have had a foul against them. Why wasn't a penalty awarded? And again, it was just one of those things where I feel Aston Villa were ripped off because what Gerard's done with this team and what Aston have done with this team after receiving the money from Grealish has been phenomenal. And they've just revamped this team that's become a challenging team against every team in the Premier League. So... The question's got to be asked, where's the consistency? And you did mention and you alluded to Manchester City, and we will cover that, but there's no consistency here. VAR has been introduced for this simple reason. Was it a clear-cut penalty? Yes. The goalkeeper did not get the ball at all. And, you know, you moved to the Serie A this morning in the interfixture. Dumfries has a penalty awarded um, against what the keeper did. Okay, it wasn't as it was extremely clear cut penalty awarded straight off the bat. The same thing should have happened here. The goalkeeper went for the dive, didn't get the ball, he collected the player. I'm sorry, at the back end of this title, could it impact Aston in getting into any of the European competitions? Not getting a point, definitely. Could it impact the top of the table? Whoever may win, definitely. And I think you're gonna look back at this and say, well, where are these consistencies? You need to have a consistent outcome across all the games. And all decisions need to be treated fairly. Not it's against Liverpool or it's against Chelsea or it's for Chelsea or for City or whatever. You've got to take out teams, take out the players involved 
and just look at each call independently. And I just feel sometimes you managers and referee bosses will refuse to answer these questions, but there is a certain bias to certain teams and to certain players. Um, you'll have players who won't have penalties awarded against them um, for them simply because they're notorious for diving. But because it was a, they're notorious for it, the referee will just shove it off and say, see you later. But at the end of the day, it should have been a penalty. So I just feel VAR need to get their act together. It's not the first season it's been in the league now. And this is going to start costing teams in big games. And, you know, you look at Liverpool City and Chelsea, they've broken away from the rest of the pack now. And these VAR calls... I don't care if it's a millimetre offside. If it's offside, it's offside. And I agree with those calls. But when games are being decided where a penalty hasn't been awarded and VAR didn't even look at it, that's where you really got to start asking questions of this whole system and they really need to have a look at it. And it can't be something that comes into effect at the end of the season where they revamp it like they did previously. This is something that needs to happen now and there needs to be a more consistent approach. That's... That's been my opinion with VAR across all competitions, across everything. Jackson, I, I want to move on from this penalty because we have about five more to talk about. Yeah, Lots right. of them, all of them are in question. Football-wise, I felt that Liverpool were in control until the last 10-15 minutes. This is something that I don't see from a team like City. And this is why I said two, two weeks ago that Liverpool are outperforming City. But I don't think so because... City, they always are in control. Even if they are tied, they are 1-0 up, 2-0 up. As City people, they always feel like we're going to have this game. We're going to win it. Liverpool fans, they had their hands on their hearts. They did not know if they're going to win. Why do you think there is a different approach here? They had their... Liverpool had their foot on the uh, on the gas, but then suddenly Danny Ings comes in and then it's... They're pinned back, chances, crosses for Aston Villa. Why, why that? I think maybe just at the end of that, it's a little bit of, of game management, not being able to, to um, just see the game out. I think a little bit was Liverpool were kind of just like expecting like, okay, now we got the lead. We can kind of, you know, we can hold back a little bit, just possess. Aston Villa might not be able to get it, but I don't think they really expected Villa to come at them like they did. And when that happened, just couldn't really get their feet on the ground. Like if you look at a team like City, even when they get that goal and like, even if they're playing like, you know, not at a hundred percent, it's very difficult for the other team to get out of the half, especially like when you have players like Rod Rodri there holding down the middle, it's just like a cleanup crew. If they clear the ball, it's just so quick, like one, two touch passing, getting out of the pressure. And then you reset. Didn't really see that from Liverpool. And I think like we said, yeah, Liverpool could have more chances to put the game away, but they definitely did get, get lucky there. I'm sh I don't know if that is necessarily something to be held against Liverpool for the whole entire time, because I think maybe we know what they're capable of and we know like they can see a game out. So maybe it was just like a, a lapse in concentration there and they got worried and couldn't really break that spell. I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it was just a one-time thing for them. It's not really something to worry about, but I think it was just a, a good showing from Aston Villa. I want to talk about Salah a little bit. The guy is 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 on the form. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is the form of the first season, but it looks like it's actually better. If you if you get 14 goals in 16 games and you get nine assists, 
at this is this is kind of crazy. Like this is a crazy form. I know that he has the most shots on target. He's the better rating, and he has that. He created a lot, the most chances in the Premier League, and it's kind of crazy for a winger slash a forward because we don't want to lie about. It. Like the, the, he is a forward, but he's the form of his life. Do you think Bruno, in in simple words, can he be a title? Uh, like changer can he be a title decider having someone like Mo Salah on your team that will get you probably 20-25 goals a season or like a team like City I know the goals come from left and right but they don't have that prolific player that will get them this double digits assists and goals look I think Salah will be a big part in this squad for a very long time in the sense of he is their talisman he's their centerpiece and everything revolves around Salah at the moment there's been times where individual brilliance has come into effect and we saw Liverpool against Manchester City by all rights Manchester City should have won that game until Salah stepped his game up and he ended up being a two or draw but I feel Salah will also be Liverpool's downfall because like we saw last season um, Van Dijk was the centerpiece for Liverpool and once he got injured, Liverpool went downhill. With Salah, the same thing is now. His attacking prowess is phenomenal. Yes, 14 goals, 9 assists. And you look at it, that's 23 goal contributions in 16 fixtures. That's in Premier League only. That, yeah, that's just in Premier League. <laughs> just yeah, for you, people you, to you know. Yeah, Champions League, etc. he's a 20-plus goal scored. I think it's 20 now, right? Yeah. But... That's just in the Premier League. Now, 23 goal contributions from your one player. He's, pro he's scoring in front and he's providing the assist. But you take Salah out, that's 23 goals gone missing. Right? So you're telling me that it's relying on Salah being healthy. Is that what it is? Definitely. And I've said it all no. season. Liverpool are one injury away from an ordinary season. And they've had injuries and we've seen them starting to slip. And... That lack lapse in concentration, I don't put it down to being Liverpool. I put that down to, well, they turn to the bench and who do they have to come on and support? You look at City, they turn to the bench and they brought De Bruyne on. Yeah, nobody yeah. has that squad. You're like, no one's got that, that type squad. of depth. And look at Manchester. So to stay focused for the full 90 minutes and not rely on youth, it's interesting. But when you've got someone as great as Salah on your team, he does a lot. But you take him out, that's 23 goals. How many points are dropped because of that? And where do those goals come from if Salah's not there? Right? Well, that's, this is something we need to wait for because he's going to go for at, two games in the African Cup of Nations. It's only two games, Crystal Palace and Brentford. But we'll see how the team play because we have not seen the team play without Salah yet. Do you want to say case in point? Let's go to Borussia Dortmund. They lose Haaland. They get knocked out of Champions League. They drop points in the domestic league. But Holland comes back. He's back to his goal-scoring form. I think he's uh, 16 from 16 at the moment, right? So yes. you're looking at the same sort of scenario here. The question is, Liverpool's still a great team without Salah, but can they function as a team without him there? And my, my the answer, to, in my opinion, is they will struggle to find those goals when they need them at critical times. We got to move on from Liverpool 
it's one nil win in Anfield. I don't think it's sufficient for a title contender to do this, which is the same to the other team who are I consider favorite. I'm gonna start with Jackson right away. The game saw City press immensely in the first half. First of all, that Jimenez red card, the mm. second yellow, is absolutely it's absurd, right? Like for a professional yeah. player, and even Bruno Laga said it after the game, said that a professional should not do this, but he said. And he knew he did wrong. He apologized. And it was just, it's a bad decision. But John Moss, that first yellow, Bruno Laga said it after the game that the whole team was behind. He did not touch the player. It was not on the transition. It should not have been a yellow, that first yellow. I'm just quoting Bruno Laga and what he said. And watching it again, we can all sit here and say, oh, he did not deserve the first yellow. But again, if you're on a yellow, you don't do that. You just don't stand in front of the ball. So I'm going to go to the penalty right away, uh, Jackson, and talk to me a little bit about, number one, how John Moss made that decision and how these people that get paid in the VAR room did not overturn it because it was clear. and I thought it was clear and obvious error, to be honest with you. So tell me your opinion before I move on to the City fan. It's tough for me. I would actually, I would give that as a pen because it's... Uh... When I saw it live for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's a clear-cut pen. Like, you know, I thought it hit him, like, up here or something. You watch the replay back, hit him, like, in the armpit. It's really tough. I think, for me, what the the kicker there was was that both of his arms were not in a natural position. Like, he really spread out his arms, and I think if his arms were down, the ball could have went in another direction. It still could have went on into the box because he, it, he still kind of had, like, his arm up there. The ball hit off his body onto his arm completely changed the path of the ball so that's really tough yet if you look at it it like you're like okay that's stretching the like you know stretching the limits for a handball but for me i don't think that was a clear and obvious error and i think where his hands were really killed him there i like i just don't think you should be trying to defend a cross like that when you're in the box and just throw both of your hands out there especially with how handballs are right now especially with bar but that's my i'm take. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say my take and then I'm gonna move to Bruno. I'm gonna say it straight. If it hits, it hits her. It hit her ribs first. His ribs first, and then maybe his armpits. This is what the camera shot. So in the law, it says if it hits part of your body first, deflects into your arm. Even if I agree that it hits his arm, it's actually by the law, it's not a penalty. And the the replay shows exactly that it did not hit his arm. It hit his ribs first, then his his arm as his armpit. Bruno, for you as a City fan, if this was the opposition, it's not your team, would you be pissed that this penalty is awarded, apart from every other team was awarded a penalty? No, but I feel the referee was correcting an error where a penalty should have been awarded in the first half on the after the Jimenez send-off for a handball in the box as well. And VAR didn't even review it. There was seven minutes added extra time. Then you had the red card. Then it, it, it went, I think it was the longest first half I've ever seen. Uh, it would have been about nine, ten minutes by the end of it. But there was a clear penalty there and VAR didn't intervene. But back to Jackson's point, I feel the arms being in an unnatural position, it doesn't matter that it ricocheted off a rip. Right, because alternatively, if his hands are there by his side, it ricochets off the rib and then goes it goes into the path of the box. 
But the law says that. But the law. Not to stand what the law says, and they again back to my point. They got to review a lot of this stuff, and we saw the Serie make multiple changes of the handball rule throughout the first season of VAR because at the start they didn't know what a handball was. Then everything was a handball, and then they're like, "We got to change this because this is absurd." But again, I do feel that yeah, there, there should have been a penalty in the first half. And that wasn't awarded. Now, Sterling gets his 100th Premier League goal, which was a fantastic feat, which was overshadowed by this. But Manchester City's dominance of the whole game, was the penalty the decisive factor? I don't think so. I think they would have pressed on and they still would have gotten that goal. Wolves dug themselves a hole. Yes. When they got that red card, City pressed like... The most amazing, the, the way they're playing is beautiful football to watch because they're constantly, it doesn't matter who you're facing. When they face Chelsea, Chelsea had the whole, we'll defend City. And when you give City that much respect, they're going to take advantage of you. Liverpool did the same thing. They learned their lesson at half time. But the Wolves, they couldn't do anything other than defend. And they were terrible at it. That brain snap just relinquished any attack that the Wolves had because now their strikers had the drop back to cover because they've got a red card. So even when they did get the ball, they couldn't do anything. It'd go back to a City player. So overall, everyone's saying that this penalty decided and gave City three points. No, after City converted the penalty, they realised we've got the lead, we've got control, let's not be stupid. If they persisted and they didn't get that penalty, a goal was surely going to come. It would have been the most amazing performance. I also have a question for you guys just real quick on the penalty aspect because when I first saw that penalty decision, the first thing that popped to my mind, I don't know if you remember this, when um, Chelsea played Liverpool earlier on in the season and Liverpool got the penalty, Reese James red card, it was a very interesting call because it hit off Reese's leg into his arm so there's two laws that came into play there one if it hits off a part of the body and then onto the hand it's not a handball but also if the hand directly stops the ball from going into the net it's a sending off and a penalty and i remember mark anthony just went over to check the replay once he just saw a still frame of the ball on reese's arm didn't really check the rest of the context of play went straight back awarded the pen and gave a red so i feel like kind of like what you said there needs to be some consistency there needs to like leveling out there with bar because I remember that decision and everyone was still kind of confused because really they're like, what's the right call? Like, did you, I know this is off topic with the pens, but uh, I just, that was my to first me, thing. Okay, just to go back that. to that call a little bit, that was not a penalty based. I'm not the referee, but I'm just reading the book, the IFAB book. I'm just reading the book and interpreting what I see. I They said, they said in the book that the ball hits your part of the body and hits your arm it's called involuntarily and it hits your body first. There is a difference. It doesn't matter because you can jump and have your arms out and it hits your arm after your body. It shouldn't be better. But anyway, this is Uh, Again, with that Chelsea call, what happened to double jeopardy where if you get the pen, why is the red card awarded? Especially in such an an inconspicuous handball, an unintentional handball. Why was the red card awarded in that instance? But... When you're looking at all of these decisions, I'm liking the fact that VAR couldn't determine 150% that there was a clear and obvious error. So 
they stuck with the referee and the referees need to understand they have to have power because if everything's based on VAR, well, guess what? Referees are going to become obsolete and there's no reason to have them. So I'm glad that VAR stuck with what the referee decided because you know what? Even if it is 50-50, I'm happy for it to go with what the refs decided. Absolutely. I agree with you. If it's very clear and obvious, well, by all means, 100% change the decision. But again, per Jackson's point, per my earlier point, per the general fan base, there is too much inconsistency and VAR aren't getting involved when they need to. And I just feel if there's a clear and succinct rule, it will be so much easier to judge because... Part one says this, but then underneath it, part one, section A, B, C, and D all contradict each other. So you can pick whatever part and suit it to make your own argument. Moving to the football, just I want to, this game, to be honest, Bruno said it exactly. If this penalty was not awarded, the goal was going to come from somewhere. And hats off to Wolves who tried at the end of the game to get back to the game. They had good, uh, uh, another, another comment asking about the question needs to be asked if the arm stays down is it a penalty no, 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 no. it's not no it's not it's it's not it's not a penalty matt you can't uh, cut your arms off yeah but I, okay i want to move on from the city game because also it's a shame that a game like this that i actually thought it was absolutely it's a, it was a great game in in a footballing sense the main talking point is the penalty after the game and i felt bad for the players who actually some of them Connor Cody, Terrari, and a lot of players, and, and apart from the city players that played really good, Bernardo, uh, um, uh, Rodri, these guys played really well. That coming out of the game, the main talking point is John Moss and the VAR. It's unfair to these players that we are sitting here in a VAR world, not talking about the players. The VAR was introduced not to talk about it, but actually to make the game more easy for the referee. I'm going to move on to Chelsea and Jackson, uh, do you think that you deserve, as, as a Chelsea fan, you guys deserve the three points? Or do you think that, as Marcelo Bielsa said after the game, they deserve something out of the game? I pr- I don't. Because, so, like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, like, I'm very happy we got the three points. But I remember walking away after watching that game. I'm just like, I'm pissed off. Like, what did I just watch? We had to rely on drawing two penalties from our center back to save the day. Um for me, when I was watching that game, I could, like Leeds had their moments. They'd attack Chelsea, and then I just kept saying, "I'm like, okay, you know, like a couple bad like slip ups." Now here comes like a long spell of possession. Here comes some domination. We're going to get a bunch of shots on targets. Corners really press Leeds in. That never really happened to me for really at all that game. And I just remember I was like, I was like, who's going to be the one here? Because we always say this every week, title winning sides, you have a player who can go in, change the game, make a dribble, get the goal, just teams playing well, get the get like a last minute winner, which yeah, Chelsea did. But I'm like, I didn't really see that from anyone in the game. I'm not taking away from Leeds. I think Leeds played really well. I was more so just saying like, I was a little disappointed in that Chelsea showing that. And again, that just that we had to rely on drawing two pens uh, from Rudiger. I think the first one was a definite nailed on penalty. The second one, I also think, was a pen, but it was a little more soft. But still, like, why is Rudiger that that top man up in the box, winning the ball, 
for us to try to get yeah that's get that's the question that should be asked why rudiger was up there winning the penalty instead of the 115 million euros striker that they bought from inter to be a starter and he was riding the bench and when he came on he was invisible again and again and again i'm not sure why if this is happening but i think it's too mystical not knowing how to use him I don't think it's the player's fault because Antonio Conte used that guy to make him one of the best forwards in the world. Now you get Thomas Tuchel. I don't think, I don't think he fits the system or Thomas Tuchel does not know how to use him. Bruno, a quick word about Lukaku. Is he leaving and going back to Italy as his agent said? No, I, I, I feel Chelsea went into this game underestimating their opponent. And yeah. they thought they could afford to rest Lukaku. He might not be 100% yet. And with Boxing Day and with the run that's coming up in the Premier League with midweek fixtures, etc., you can't afford to have a player playing at 80% and being injured and missing because you, you miss two weeks, you're missing potentially four games. So he thought we can rest him and he underestimated Leeds. And when you underestimate a team, you walk away shaking your head, wondering what happened. But I want to counteract what Jackson said. Chelsea getting the three points, they might not have deserved it, but they did. And they grinded. And you know what? They put themselves in positions in order to have those penalties awarded. Doesn't matter why Rudiger was there, because at the end of the day, he's doing what he needs to do. And they did. And, and these are the signs of a champion's team. Because at the end of the day, when you don't play your best and you still get three points, it's under Tuchel especially, under Tuchel, Pep, Klopp, they don't walk away from that happy because they won the game. I can guarantee you they copped the beating in that dressing room after the fact because they were told how terrible they played. But at the end of the day, they're going to come out next week and they're going to play 10 times better. And I'm sorry for whoever they're playing next week because I feel Chelsea's going to put three or four past them simply for the fact is they played this bad and got away with it. They know they can't do the same thing two weeks in a row. And this is the sign of a champion's team. You've seen it time and time again. Now, the Premier League in the last couple of years, it's been blowouts left, right, and center. But let's go back to that infamous City win when Aguero scores in the... 95th minute of extra time, right? Now, you look throughout that entire season, I counted three fixtures City should not have won, but they grinded through and got those points. You look now at the end of the season, that defined their season. That's why they won that title. You look at this now, Chelsea, I still feel, are the biggest threats within this league to win this title. And I feel this... This game here, this league's fixture, Leeds fixture here, is a great showing of a champion team. You got two penalties. Chelsea got two penalties. Jorginho hasn't been in the best form converting penalties, especially for Italy, let alone Chelsea. Now, it takes something to get the penalties, but it also takes something special to stand there in the 94th minute and convert that penalty. Getting the penalty is the easy part. Converting it and having the pressure of not just your team, but the fan base saying, you got to convert this, and he did it, well, they deserve it. Jackson, Jackson, do you think that after this game, do you think you're second favorite or third? 
I mean, I'm still going to – I think second just because I'm going to say I I know what we're capable of. I'm really – I still – like, I know we've had a couple, like, you could say tough results. I still am really trusting what Tuchel's doing with the system. And, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I said, I was very happy for the three points. I was just saying as a Chelsea fan, you expect – like you said, I honestly agree with Bruno, probably underestimated leads. I just think as a Chelsea fan, you should go in there expecting a clean sheet and – and a few goals and maybe not like you said, leaving it up to 90 in the 94th minute. But like you said, that was a good point about champion winning sides. Like we talk about that every week, but for me, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Mo. I think a a fully fit Lukaku would be absolutely perfect for this uh, Chelsea side, because you look at Havertz right now, he's in pretty good form for me. When I see Havertz mess up or I'm a little disappointed in Havertz, it's his hold up play because I don't think he's strong enough. He can't really hold off to the defender and turn, um, he's not the best in the air. Uh, and you look at Lukaku, that's a ton of his strengths. And granted, Havertz is also playing well for a position he doesn't, that's not his natural position. So I think literally where Havertz is struggling right now is where Lukaku thrives. Um, you got his hold up play with the transition. Like I say, you get the balls in from Alonso and Reese James. I think he's going to be having a field day once he's, once he's back in there. And I think, I think Tuchel was maybe just waiting till he was till he was fully fit to be back in the side playing ninety minutes. And just, I hope um, that Lukaku gets back to his form. Sorry, sorry, Bruno. I just I just wanted to say that Lukaku at his form, if he gets goals left and right and he plays his game, I think he adds a lot to the Premier League. To be honest with you, having it's having the likes of Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku at their best form adds to the league the Cristiano Ronaldo it doesn't matter if you say he did this or he did that he still is a clutch player I want these players to be at their best form to be honest to add to the title uh, uh, challenge to add to the to the, to, to, to like to the games and stuff like this and and I just hate to see Lukaku on the bench and I want him to be on the pitch because I want to enjoy Lukaku uh, for Chelsea to be honest yeah, look, and just to my point I was about to mention, Chelsea's defence has been phenomenal. They're now second defensive-wise, but they've conceded five goals in their last two games, three against West Ham and two against Leeds. Now, you take you take the two against Leeds, which I feel they should have never conceded, they're on nine goals conceded across 16 games. And that's something phenomenal for a team like Chelsea who, you know, Everyone underestimated last season once Tuchel came in thinking, they, all right, he's a good manager, but what's he going to do with this team? And he led them to Champions League glory. And let me tell you, if he was there at the start of the season, it would have been a completely different season to what we saw. So, okay, they've struggled against Leeds. They lost against a very strong West Ham at the moment. But you really got to look at what they've done up until this point. And I still think, personally, they're favourites to win this league just on the basis that Manchester City have struggled for so long finding a goal scorer. And, yeah, everyone's scoring. But in that game against Wolves, City could not find that one person to put it in the back of the net. And Grealish missed an open goal. I still don't know how he missed that. But you have a striker, a number nine, Harry Kane there. Well, you get that goal. Chelsea have all of that plus more. So I do feel Chelsea are probably the most 
they're playing the most attractive football, but I do feel that they'd be slight favourites, if not equal favourites with Manchester City, because you've got to remember, there's only two points between them. Absolutely. Uh, moving on from Chelsea, who are, I think it's going to be a three-horse title race, as we all can see from now, to the team that was supposed to be there, but the sector manager, Ragnik is there, Anthony, our friend, he said that it's a doubtful penalty call on Manchester uh, for on Ronaldo, but he said, which is something that I saw from most of the Man United fans, they're very happy with the clean sheet, even though every one of them says that we had a stinker of a game. It was a shit game. They played really bad. Marcus Rashford was really, really bad. They said Bruno Fernandes, if you see the rating, Bruno Fernandes got three in this game, which is some of the yeah. one of the lowest. Like, it was a shocker for me, guys. Jackson, did you see what Ralph Ragnick is trying to do this game? Is it is it the player or is it the system or these players need time to adapt? Like, walk me through it. I think it's definitely going to be a little time because of where um, United were just at and what, what Ralph's mentality is. Because I know I touched on this a little bit last week, but after last week's, uh, or in last week's post-match press conference, he said um, the most important thing to him is keeping the clean sheet because if you get the clean sheet, then you're automatically guaranteed a point. So obviously Ralph in training, he's going to be drilling defense into them. Like defense is the most important thing. So that's going to be a change for them just because you know where Man U, like they conceded a lot, but their goal was to just score more than the other team. So I think getting the team uh, all, like defensively minded all on the same page to do their defensive duties could take a time or take some time. And, and like I said before, if you have, I know Rashford wasn't playing well, uh, Bruno wasn't playing well, but with those attacking players on the side, you're eventually going to, you're going to get goals. And, you know, like I think United was always going to win this game. You're going to get goals from those players. And so you, you should in theory, win most of your games. If you have a sound defense with the, with those players up top, I guess, I think he, he just needs a little bit of time. Tell me about the here. A little bit, Bruno. <laughs> How good is this guy? If it wasn't for De Gea, United would be nowhere where they are now. During Ole's tenure, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, he made Ole look extremely good as a manager. He made United compete. Um, just phenomenal. It was a couple of weeks ago. He faced two penalties in the space of seconds because they he saved the first one. Then they took it back, retook it, and he saved it again. And it just shows who the Haya is. But I want to just take your attention to Fred because before Ole, when Ole was manager, Fred looked lost. He did not look like he was part of a team. He looked lost. He looked confused. And I don't know. He just didn't he didn't feel like he he knew what he was doing. But since Rolf's come. It's a completely different Fred we're seeing. Okay, last week he said he was meant to be crossing the ball and it ended up in the back of the net. But he's putting himself in a better position. He's playing in his proper position. And I think that's the first step to Ragnarok's plan with Manchester United. It's if you focus on each player and get them doing their job, then as a team collectively, you'll be able to work a much better game. See, uh, United have 
on paper the best team in the Premier League, in my opinion. From De Gea in goals to Bruno Fernandes, Sancho, Ronaldo, you know, you've got a fantastic team, but they just don't seem to be linking up properly. And everyone's criticized, you know, you mentioned Fernandes, it's his lowest rating, if not always one of his lowest ever. But I feel Fernandes with Ronaldo in the team is not performing well. And I put that down to he was the leader of this team. No matter who's captain, last season, Fernandez led this team to qualify for this Champions League. And he was this the player which created. He was the player that they turned to to shine. Now when you've got Sancho, you've got Pogba, you've got um, Ronaldo there, everyone's trying to get in the limelight. And especially with Ronaldo there, Bruno's got to work out what, his role in this team is and he's got to take a step back from trying to win them games and start playing as a team player fred was phenomenal we have to add that fred was absolutely was the best player on the field for manchester united for two games in a row to be honest it's uh it is something that we haven't seen from this guy uh Man United, I'm not sure where they're going to end the season because we have not seen what ralph radnick is about yet but i think there's a lot of games left, a lot of football to be played in this league, and he has time uh, to prepare his team for the games maybe later after the Christmas when they have the break in January. But Man United, they got the points, which is something that we haven't seen with Oli before, that they got the points at the end of the, of the day, even though they did not play great. I think United will come in the top six. I'm not sure if they're going to come top four. Because, to be honest, there is Antonio Conte and Tottenham and, and he's going to spend he's in January. games and, in hand. And, uh, we, and we know what Conte is capable of if you give him what he wants. If, if he puts his hand on a forward that he wants next to Kane, he might be, they might be killer. Because imagine Harry Kane going back to his best with another forward. This would be crazy for Antonio Conte. But another London team, Arsenal 3, Southampton no. The game actually did not ref the score did not reflect what happened in the game. I thought Southampton had a brilliant first 20 minutes. Arsenal had zero shots, zero shots on target, nothing going on for the first 20 minutes until that brilliant, brilliant, brilliant move that they did to get out of it started from Ramsdale. But I did again, I, I saw what Arteta was trying to do in that game. And it's a good sign that you're trying to play from the back. You're not panicking. Gabriel helps a lot. Ramsdale helps a lot in playing from the back. But also, you, Southampton at the end is a relegation contender, right? How are you playing home against a relegation contender and concede the play for 20 minutes? It didn't make any sense to me, to be honest. Jackson, is Arsenal going in the right direction? Bar the result, based on play-wise, the way they look on games? In recent form, I'd say so. But for me, it's so hard to put my finger on Arsenal. I think they are just one of the most volatile clubs because sometimes they'll go out, they'll play absolutely class football, they'll be looking great, their players are linking up, they'll get really nice goals. And then other times they'll just come and they'll completely fall apart. And you're like, where, like, where's this team? What's happening? Like, against what happened with Liverpool, right? So... It's really hard for me to say, but I think I do. I do think they're going in the right direction because a while ago, I remember 
especially last season, I'd be like be watching Arsenal play. I'd be like, how does Arteta still have a job? Like, I'm really confused. But then now I'm seeing, like, I'm starting to see some of his plan come together more. The players are looking a little more confident. So, yeah, like I said, definitely moving in the right direction. I just like a little more consistency out of that side because, like, yeah, I just I go into a game that I'm about to watch from them, and I'm like, I genuinely have no idea what's about to happen. This is going to be a fun watch. So if you if because like we said with Liverpool and City, you go into the game, they're like, and Chelsea, you're like, okay, this this is going to be three points, or you know, this player is going to score or create chances. I, you don't really see that with Arsenal. Bruno, simple question, and tell me why, if it's a yes or no, can Arsenal make top four? Yeah. They definitely can. Um, we saw the start of the season, how terrible they were, but you put a lot of that down to new players in new positions. And Ramsdale's doing for Arsenal what De Gea does for United. And it's as simple as that. He has been absolutely phenomenal. But Arteta has started to shut out the pundits. He, he started to listen to himself and not listen to the criticism that they're getting. You know, White and Gabriel at the back are starting to form this connection. And you know what? If they beat all the teams other than the top four, I feel they'll they'll be up there, especially with that fourth position being as open as what it is. Now, they face West Brom next, and this will be a telltale sign because then they've got a very nice run up until... West Ham. Uh, yeah, West Ham, yeah. sorry. Um they face West Ham next, sorry, which will be a very good telltale sign as to where the club's at, where Arteta has his men. But then they've got a fantastic run of games up until Manchester City, um, which is the New Year's Day fixture for them. Uh, New Year's Day here in Australia, I think it's New Year's Eve in everywhere else in the world. So um, up until then, if they can get, I think maximum points is 18, if they can get... 15 out of 18, they're in a very good position because I'm sure West Ham will not be hanging around for too long in that position they're in. I just feel they don't have the ability. But if you can beat all the teams below you, you're in a very good position, especially in the way the Premier League's this season. Did anyone picture one of Manchester City's losses to come at the hands of Crystal Palace? No. But They've defeated Chelsea. They drew with Liverpool. Now, Arsenal's faced Liverpool. They lost 4-0. They faced United. And I'm not sure if they've played Chelsea yet, so I'm not going to comment on that one. But they've struggled against the big teams, but they're doing what needs to happen against the lower teams. So, Aboumiang out for disciplinary reasons. So, once he does return... That attacking prowess reopens. That opening 20 minutes might be a completely different opening. And then you've got the likes of Odegaard scoring in what is one of their young talents. It's a good direction as to where Arsenal's heading. West Ham, uh, I don't think there's anything to say about that game. They drew with Burnley nil-nil in a game that saw West Ham miss about three, four clear-cut chances. They should have won the game. And Burnley just being Burnley, they crossed 55,000 crosses. But, again, 
these crosses were actually very, very dangerous. Rodriguez should have gotten at, at the end of like a couple of them. It was some of these were very, very dangerous. But we need to point out that West Ham are actually without three of their starting center backs, and they're only down to two. Dio, uh, I can't remember. And um, well, what's the other guy's name? Uh, I can't remember his name. Yes, and Dawson, who came from West Brom uh, mid season last season. So are, as Bruno said, are West Ham going to be there? I don't think so. If they keep dropping points like this, I know that they, win against, they won against Liverpool, they won against Chelsea, but if they drop points against the lower teams, this is what hurts you the most, dropping points against the lower teams. Two of the great games that actually I enjoyed every single minute of these two games, Crystal Palace 3, Watford 1, Brentford 2, uh, uh, sorry, Crystal Palace 3, Everton 1, Brentford 2, Watford 1. I'm going to start with Crystal Palace because it is something that I, I'm sure Jackson is keen on. Conor Gallagher, playing phenomenal. The guy's over the moon. He's outperforming everybody. It's a Conor Gallagher world, and we just live in it, right? <laughs> Can this guy get in the Chelsea team? Gallagher? That's tough. I, I think so, because... It's going to be tough because right now you, where you see Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing is where a player like Gallagher could play. And I think maybe the past couple of games, um, Loftus, uh, RLC's form has dropped a little bit. And I think that's just where you need Gallagher's consistency. But back on, back on Gallagher, his second goal just kind of showed, I think, where he's at mentally. He got the ball, took two quick touches, got – two yards of space and was like, I'm just going to lace this thing. And it went upper 90. That just shows pure confidence in his ability. And I thought that was great. Uh, he's just an incredibly exciting young talent. And I think we all want to see where he will go and what he can do for regardless of what team he's on. Where's, uh, where's Rafael Benitez go from here, Bruno? <laughs> like, I know that he won, but to be honest, he won because of the, <laughs> individual brilliance against Arsenal last game and because Arsenal were naive a little right but there is no plan they're not they don't know that their defense is wide open their midfield is not performing where does he go from here he goes nowhere um he doesn't have the team to win games simple as that the team is just disjointed at the moment and they've got Chelsea and Leicester next in their next two fixtures. I can't see him getting a single goal, let alone a single point in those two fixtures, just because they don't have answers to any of the questions Crystal asked, and they expect to have answers to those same questions against Chelsea and Leicester, who I'm sure we'll get to. But overall, Rafa, he, he was thrown in the deep end. Um, and, you know, James left at the start of the season and he was pivotal in their performances at last season. He was pivotal in just the morale of the team. They just loved having him there. And <clears throat> overall, you lose a player like that, it's like Juventus losing Ronaldo right at the end of the transfer window and you can't replace them. It's very tough. Imagine Grealish leaves final hour of the final day of the transfer window we're talking you know they go to relegation aston villa 
they don't they don't challenge games like they did against Liverpool. So I don't know. I feel he you put anyone in that position, they're gonna have the same issues. I, I feel it's not a management issue. I feel it's a player issue. They have an easy run after the Chelsea and the Leicester game. They have uh, Burnley, Newcastle, and uh, Brighton. Maybe he will survive, but I don't know if he's going to stay. After, if, if he loses the two games against Leicester and Chelsea, I'm not sure if he stays. But anyway, it is, to be honest, Everton, I expected them to be better this season, but they are not. They're actually play terrible, to be honest. Brentford back on track against Watford. The one to it was absolutely it was. I know that it's very bad to say that it felt like a championship game back to back in tackles flying. Every the fans are going crazy, everybody's just jumping up. And then the penalty at the end, it's very deserved penalty. Another penalty, of course, this week. I don't know how many penalties we have this week, but tons of them. It's it's just a lot of them. So Again, Brentford are back on track. Watford are actually now the 17th, one place above relegation. They are two points, I think, ahead of uh, uh, Burnley, uh, to be honest. So it's going to be tough for Watford this season. Claudio Ranieri is going to struggle. Brentford, they are are flying in the first uh, like season uh, under Thomas Frank uh, in the Premier League, it's they're doing phenomenal, and they were not they were without Ivan Tony. So, do you guys think that Brentford can finish top half of the table? Start with Jackson. Top half of the table, I do. I I think they're a, a pretty solid side. Like you said, a lot of times their games look like championship games, um, just because they're so direct. They want to go fast. They want to hit you quick on the counter. And I think that will, and it does, it will get them in trouble um, if they don't start to like utilize their midfield more and, and hold on to possession and kind of build up plays and that um, don't allow their opposition to hit them on the counter so hard. Um, but I think though, I think they definitely have the potential to uh, finish top half of the table when Tony returns and then um, their goalkeeper, I'm sorry, I forget his name. Um, what's, uh, I forget his name, but he's he's been very good with um, distribution, especially when he um, he likes to find Tony and Mbomo up top um, to get um, just to like kind of bypass both teams midfield, and that's where they look dangerous. So I think once those two players come back into the squad, um, they'll start looking dangerous again. But I always really enjoy watching their games; they produce very fun games. Yeah, Brent, uh, uh, Watford, Bruno. Uh, Claude Grunanieri, your man. I know you're Italian, and and you like the Italian coaches. That my scare is that it's Burnley below them, and Newcastle in January they might spend money. Do you think Watford are going to survive, or do you think? I think Watford do have the ability to survive. I think Ranieri is the man, and we saw what they're capable against when it came up against uh, Manchester United, Brentford. Fernandez is the goalkeeper's name. Um, but Brentford, they're currently 10th. I think they finish 11th. I think the only two teams below them that come up are Aston Villa and Everton. And I also feel that the team that drops down is Wolves. Uh, but I do see them hovering between 13th and 10th position. They've done exactly what is expected. And what you see a lot of these championship teams do when they come to the Premier League, they try and be something new and they try and do something special. 
They won the uh, you don't do well in the championship, change everything and do well in the Premier League. They've stuck to what they know and it's getting them the results. It's yielding them results. I just feel they're going to get gutted by teams like Newcastle, the Wolves and other teams just based on the fact that they've got great players and these players want to stay up in the Premier League now they've played there. And in your mind, you're a Brentford player. We got up here. We're doing well in our first season, but how long are we going to last? And these teams are just going to take everything and they'll leave just parts of Brentford. And unfortunately, we see it all the time in teams that have just come up and they're performing quite well. But Watford, Norwich, I feel aren't going to leave the position they're in. I did think they were going to do better this season. Newcastle, I don't know how much, even if they've got a billion dollars to spend, how you, <coughs> sorry, how are you going to sell the Newcastle idea to top players? Because I don't know. I know you can't appetize Haaland or Ronaldo or any of those players to come and play there simply because it's Newcastle. And so they, they're going to be taking small steps to get anywhere near European competition competitiveness. But it's going to be interesting battle for Watford because this team here is so hot and cold. They'll put four past Manchester United and then they'll struggle. So New it's a flip of the coin. Newcastle lost four to Leicester City, who actually had a brilliant, brilliant game. Apart from the first penalty that I thought James Madison actually drew that penalty, I'm not sure what you guys think, but in my opinion, we are in like not we like the league is encouraging players to do this by not punishing them. He initiated the contact. He saw the souls planting the foot, and he initiated the contact. It's it's good. For him, yes, but everybody's saying that he initiated that. It should not have been a penalty. And given that penalty, we're encouraged players to actually initiate contact and fall down and stuff like this. But again, another penalty, another controversy. And I'm but Leicester won that game fair and square, 4 0. They're back winning again. Newcastle did not play bad, but their defense is shambolic, to be honest. Like it's absolutely, it's, it's, I can't imagine a team in the Premier League with that weak of a defense. Like, it's wide open. Like, like, and they're lazy. Like, that second goal, they were very lazy to go up. They didn't want to move, like, move back. They didn't want to cover, and they didn't want to move up. So, I'm not sure where it goes from here. Bruno already touched on Newcastle, and I don't want to stop at Newcastle because I'm, I'm, until they get better and they play better football, I don't want to stop at them. But I want to stop at Leicester, who are... Trying to climb the table, to be honest, like they are now eighth, which is, we think they should be challenging for top four. I think if they start getting points, they have the squad, they have the manager that should challenge for top four. But I'm not sure if they are afraid to make top four because two seasons now and they drop from that fourth position two seasons in a row. So Jackson... Quick word on Leicester and where they should finish based on their squad this year. Uh, I think I would give Leicester a top six. Uh, I don't think right now, especially with their play, play style, um, 
they have what it takes to do top four. I am worried about them in future seasons, though, once they start to lose players. Like, Vardy's getting old. I think Tillman's probably won't hang around for too much longer, who I think is is kind of the heart of Leicester at a lot of times. Um, but with their current season, with, with this season and with their players, I do expect them to be in European competition. Um, I don't think they have what it takes to get wins against the big teams and even some of the um, mid-table uh, teams. They really struggle sometimes because I think we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. A lot of their play style is just is way too direct a lot of times. Um, they hope that Vardy can just get in behind the center backs and you know bang home a volley. That'll work against a lot of teams, but eventually – when push comes to shove that it's just going to get shut down. He'll get double marked and like where else here goes goals going to come from. That was a great performance today, but like we were saying, it's not really consistent with what we've been seeing from them and we'll see. We'll, let's see if they can keep it up. I think what changed today is James Madison going back to his best. That's what changed Leicester. They don't have to play direct. If James Madison is on the field playing that number 10 role as he used to do before he got injured last year. And I think this is why today we did not see Vardy. We saw Daga start, and this is what happened. I think James Madison, people said his his form dropped, but I think he's very, very important to that playing style. Bruno, games in midweek, we have really, really good games this week. Chelsea, Everton, I want your predictions. It's Leicester Tottenham. Again, we did not talk about the COVID outbreak in Tottenham uh, Spurs. They, their game against Brighton got suspended. Actually, they might postpone the game against Leicester. I think it's uh, uh, it's Thursday, and uh, we don't know yet anything. There is Arsenal West Ham. Give me some predictions starting from the, the import, like the the, the 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 games. I'm gonna start with City Leeds, and uh, uh, I want Arsenal West Ham for you. City and to beat Leeds uh, and Arsenal West Ham. Honestly, I could see either team winning 3-0, but at the same time, I can see it ending in a draw. It's one of those fixtures where Arsenal have the ability, as do West Ham, to absolutely take control. And it's going to come down to the goalkeepers uh, who's on their form and Anything's possible with those two teams. It's probably what I feel to be what will be one of the most unpredictable games of the round. Uh, Chelsea play Everton, uh, Jackson. Tell me a little bit, What do you, do you expect Everton to even put a fight or is it just going to be a walk in the park? And also talk to me a little bit about Brentford against Man United, who I think is going to be one of the most interesting games in these midweek fixtures. Yeah, I agree. So Chelsea Everton, uh, Bruno kind of touched on this uh, a little while ago. He's saying he's worried about whoever uh, Chelsea plays next because they're going to want to make up for their performance this past weekend. Um, Going into this game, I'd always say that, no, I don't think Everton will will put up much of a fight. I think it should at least be a a 2-3-0, a 3-0 win to Chelsea. I am just a little nervous. Some of our past games, we've had uh, some defensive lapses that have led to goals that were capitalized on well by the opposition. Um, But again, as a Chelsea fan, with what we've been doing, I don't 
I don't think that Everton will, has what it takes to um, to score against Chelsea. So, like I said, I'm going to say two or three nil. And you're right. I think the Brentford Man United game is going to be very interesting, especially because what we were talking about with um, Rajnik and how you know offensive Brentford like to be. Um, I think it's going to be a very counter-attacking game. I think it's going to be high-paced, and um, I think it's going to be a tight one. But and I'm going to say, I'm going to say two-one to Man to Man United. I think Brentford has it in them to score against Manu. And uh, these are the games. We're gonna make sure to like the video, subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, Make sure to also follow Football Worldwide on Twitter. Bruno, we have a lot of content coming on. The Champions League draw in about six hours or seven hours from now. Uh, we're all waiting to see who we're going to get. And uh, I don't want to touch on, on, on it, but I want to leave the floor to you, Bruno. But plug in anything, Bruno, in Football Worldwide if you want. Yeah, guys, just don't forget you've got champions league draw happening live um anthony and myself will be jumping on about half an hour prior to the draw just having a recap of the group stage and who can potentially get what but we will be covering that draw live which i am extremely excited for not just as a city fan but just as a football fan in general because pot a and pot b are probably one of the most competitive pots like you've got to be scared whoever you get there's no easy run from this point on uh, Serie A roundtable hosted by Anthony. Uh, Serie A, the top of the table changes, uh, the baton changes hands yet again. So I'm sure he's got a lot to cover. European weekly catch up with myself. Conversation starter. I know Mo will be dropping a speed run of the EPL after match day 17. So keep your eyes out for that. If you guys don't know what that is, it's essentially a quick five to ten minute video recapping everything that's just happened. I dropped one earlier today and it's a nice prelude into the um, everything APL with Mo and Jackson. But uh, yeah, guys, as Mo said, don't forget to like and subscribe. And just my last point is I want to leave the floor probably to you, Jackson. These smaller teams cannot, my opinion, and I want to know if you agree or not, Smaller teams, so let's say from eight down in the Premier League, will not be able to maintain any form at the moment with all this fixture congestion just simply because they don't have the teams to maintain. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, we're starting to see that already a little bit with West Ham, who's still in fourth, but they're really starting to struggle with injuries because they're not as deep. Whereas you look at a team like City, who's on their bench is more valuable than most teams' starting lineup. Um, it's absolutely insane. So I think that's really where we're going to start to see the bigger clubs really just start to run away with it. And it's going to kind of, you know, make the middle and, and bottom half of the table much more interesting. I want to thank everybody. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you. As always, thank my you. great time. Bruno, thank nice you all to meet for you. watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye, guys.